welcome back to episode 7 of the Local Matters podcast. I'm Ethan and I'm here with Charlie. Hello. And Patrick. Hello. This episode we're going to be talking about overpopulation. And this is a term that's often bandied around, but what does it actually mean? When does a population actually step over a threshold and what is that threshold? Well, according to the biology dictionary, Overpopulation refers to a population that has exceeded its sustainable size within a particular environment or habitat. So for humans, that means, well, it's when we surpass the environmental, economic, logistical, and even social capacity of a country, and that often has grave consequences. So the UK is currently on track to become the most populated European country over the next couple of years. Uh, And this is largely a result of not only a larger birth rate, but also a massive amount of net migration. Net migration is contributing up to 80% of our population growth in the UK. And we're seeing over a million people come into the country every three years, which is a new Birmingham added every three years. Or in one year, that's the entire population of Iceland. I think it's really useful to have these comparisons with Iceland and Birmingham, because we can't even begin to imagine what that number of people looks like in a room. We see numbers like this every day, uh, or even hear them on podcasts like these, but we can't comprehend the scale until we can reference it to things like that. As Patrick said, the average birth rate of the UK is high in relation to other European countries. And it's 1.7 children on average, uh, which obviously is a man and woman. So to be able to maintain the same level of population without any immigration or emigration, uh, you would have a 2.0 birth rate. Um, as I said, ours is 1.7, so our population should be declining with the amount of immigration that we bring in to our country. Uh, Our population is rising dramatically. So to actually give you some numbers on that, in 1970, the UK population was about 55.55 million people according to the Office for National Statistics. But in 2020, it's projected by the United Nations to be at least 67 million people and, you know, definitely could be pushing around 70 million. And now that might not sound like a lot to some people who are used to handling figures of billions of people in India and China. But for an island of this size, that is mad, literally mad. And a lot of this is very recent as well. It's only crossed the 60 million mark around the year 2000. And because of the settled population in the country, a lot of this population change is almost exponential as these communities that have moved to the UK have children within the country as in addition to the newcomers. It's important to remember as well that a lot of the countries these people are coming from have average birth rates of over two so they have more children. Um, The populations of these countries are actually going up and these birth rates continue when these people come to our country as well. A lot of this growth can be seen recently as well. So as we said, in 1970, the population was at about 55 million and around 50 million in um, 1960. It took uh, up until the year 2000 for that to hit 10 million people in growth. Now for the next 10 million in growth, that's happened from around 2000 to 2020. So that's half the amount of years, 20 versus 40, for just as much growth. And the trend only shows an increase in the growth of population. And that can be seen on a global scale as well. And we simply don't have the infrastructure or the industry to maintain all of these people, which rotates the cycle that we've discussed about before of consumerism and imports and 
continual exponential expansion of industry uh, worldwide and we're becoming completely reliant on it because we have too many people. And this affects all areas of society, not at all just the economic. For example, the rapid population growth is already leading to members of parliament questioning the sanctity of our protected green spaces, especially the green belt. Liz Truss is one well-known MP who's in favour of scrapping this in favour of building affordable housing. Also, this population growth is almost entirely concentrated in urban areas, and we all know how chaotic urban lifestyles are becoming, as well as the fact that urban lifestyles through things such as public transport, space heating, and just general consumerism tend to have a much higher carbon footprint than rural lifestyles. And a greater environmental impact overall, you know, with littering and whatever else. Um... And it's also going to contribute to the growth of these areas. You know, urbanisation is a massive, massive issue, and it's one that's being pushed by the ever-booming population of the UK. As rural communities aren't big enough to hold all these people, and as urban communities uh, increase in size, um, there's becoming less and less green space and uh, more and more pollution generated across the UK as a whole. But there's so many issues. I mean, you can talk about environmental issues, you can talk about economic issues, um, and you could even talk about social issues. Um, it really does affect all elements of society. Um, so I think we should probably get into a few of those now and just talk about the dangers of overpopulation rather than talking about it so esoterically. I think economics is a good place to start because it's very tangible to look at. Um, and the benefits to uh, mass migration that are raised are things like our aging population, right? So our declining birth rate is seen as potentially a bad thing. Uh, as we're not having enough new workers come in to fill the slots in various different factories and professions all around the country. Uh, and migration is seen as sort of an ability to stem the tide of this. This depends largely on the growth mentality in the UK, that the economy constantly needs to be propped up at this massive size and massive scope uh, in order to keep us prosperous. However, migration, even though it might be able to prop up this manufacturing, is costing us a lot of money. An investigation commissioned by the Exchequer in 2018 and led by Oxford Economics found that mass immigration is costing the government 4.3 billion a year, uh, and this was measured in 2016, which is around 12 million pounds a day. Um, so there are massive, massive economic costs in order to prop up this growth-based system of economics. And where does this end? And at what point will it be enough and production will catch up to the necessary demand? It won't. Of course not, because we're constantly adding more and more people, which requires um, more and more production, right? Because, I mean, if you look at um, first world countries, um, you know, an individual's carbon footprint is about 30 times higher in the developed world than in the third world. Um, and of course, not all of our migration is third world, but a large amount of it is. Um, you know, people are consuming so many products, we're going to need more people to produce these products in every step in between, be it infrastructure or, or otherwise. Um, as the population continues to grow, we're only having a bigger and bigger impact and creating a bigger and bigger demand, which just only requires more immigration if we're continuing to, um, if we're continuing to want to prop up this level of production, right? So really it's, it's about looking at, uh, the levels of consumerism that we're seeing and, and looking at reducing those as well as then seeing that we don't need to prop up our birth rates. We don't need, um take advantage of these countries in, in the third world's birth rates to, to aid our own manufacturing and, and businesses. I think the fact that mass immigration is clearly causing the UK government to hemorrhage money 
while at the same time feeding into the profits of consumer corporations really shows the structure of society in this country and in much of the Western world. Priority is definitely on short-term gain and I don't think that any current politicians are playing the long game. Yeah, I mean, as you said earlier, Charlie, there's no clear end in sight, right? It's just expected that we're just going to continue to grow for forever and that there's never going to be some sort of peak. Um, it's almost like the 1920s sort of too big to fail attitude of, oh, it's fine, we'll just keep pouring more money into things and keep, you know, expanding the population. There's going to be an end somewhere because there's so much that's being impacted by the levels of overpopulation in the UK and elsewhere um, that eventually something has to, to slip and fall. Um, it's like a stack of cards, and we spoke about that in previous podcasts where... You know, you can only have so much before the whole thing comes tumbling down. And the economic side of that is one thing. The environmental impacts are, are massive. We already discussed those with urbanization, etc. Uh, but there's so many social issues as well. We're seeing a lot of overcrowding in our cities. Uh, it's reducing quality of life for everybody within these urban areas. When you're having to confine so many people in such a small space, um, you get things like congestion, you're getting already aforementioned pollution, and it's it's making people unhappier. You know, you can see all these different factors are not doing anyone any good. It just seems to be sort of growth for the sake of growth. And there's lots of other psychological and social elements I'm sure we can get into. I think that we see it in the way that we vote as well. We've discussed democracy before and um, referendum and direct democracy. I think that these systems couldn't work Um you know, how can you we talk about representing 66 million people how, you know how could a government represent 70 or 80 uh, what we're looking at now is soon uh, possibly in our lifetimes 100 million people in the UK how could any government of our size represent that and all they would do from this point probably is to scale what they've already got it's already a system that's bloated and doesn't work properly for representation um, so 100 million, we would really be struggling uh, democratically for any representation to be accurate at all. Exactly. I think our individual sovereignty has been greatly diluted by just the size of the population of the country. And dilution of sovereignty like this is what's paving the way to essentially despotism, this weird bureaucratic despotism that is coming quite common in Europe. You know, it's the pinnacle of bureaucracy in a way, managerial democracy. Yeah, I was having a, a chat to a friend earlier and he was talking to me about how recently he's felt quite politically apathetic and he seemed to be quite sort of upset about that fact. But the fact that in a, in a democratic system, even one as bureaucratic as our own, when you have such a large population, you are but a singular vote in a massive pool of things and activism and whatever else feels much more pointless. And even just the simple act of voting feels much more pointless when your vote individually counts for so little. The great amount of population with the same size of constituencies and the same level of uh, power within those local constituencies uh, is just watering down and diluting the actual political influence that your everyday voter actually has. As we discussed in the Direct Democracy episode, but I can't remember if we actually mentioned this point, there's a canton, like a constituency in Switzerland, still votes by hand. You know, the population there is suitable for that. Um, but that would never be possible here, even now, never mind in 20, 30 years. I think that's what's put us in this really strange situation where we have the biggest government we've ever known, 
and the most ineffective government we've ever known. It's just purely bloated, especially the civil service. You know, the government should be the arm of the population, existing only as a mechanism or a vehicle to enact the popular will. But now it seems to just be managing the country as if it's almost like a babysitter or a nanny, I suppose, you know, nanny state, as they say. Now, the fact that the very objective and the very structure of this government is to just maintain the system shows how fragile it is, that we need this huge, bloated civil service only to make sure the system doesn't collapse in on itself. It's a completely impotent and inert system of government. That's a really good way to look at it, I think. But to go back to the matter at hand, overpopulation itself... Um, it really does, much as consumerism did in, in the fifth episode, touch on a lot of the issues we've already discussed. So obviously, as we're discussing, democracy is massively impacted. There's the environmental impact. Uh, it's one of those really all-encompassing issues um, that really needs discussing, because currently people want to talk about immigration as it is um, on so many small individual factors. Uh, but again, it, it's so short-sighted. You know, you can raise these individual social issues but you can't tackle immigration without looking at the long term right because immigration itself is is a long-term ambition it is stemming the tides of well stemming the need for um mass consumerism and, and the manufacturing industries and as you said ethan largely pushed by larger corporations but i think something to sort of take on from that is something we've not really had much chance to discuss already which is the impact that these things have on other countries uh, and obviously we are a local podcast, but um, it's important to look at the effect of what we're doing in our local areas having on the world as a whole. What I'm talking about is the brain drain. By that I mean there is a large amount of um, migration which is, is said to be incredible for our country, being that of skilled workers. So I mean doctors, scientists, whatever else, and these people do a great service for our country and are largely very important to the country's day-to-day running. Um, but what's not talked about largely is the impact that this has on the countries that these people are coming from. These are developing countries, um, mass in need of the, of these skilled people, and we're taking them away with economic incentives, leaving these countries sort of floating in the water without much of a paddle. Again, it comes back to this short-term gain of politicians um, rather than looking at the bigger picture. And it's very greedy as... Uh... People usually um, will voice the argument that we are helping them by giving them a better life, things. But again, this is for the benefit of the individual and the family and the and the family of the individual, in comparison to an entire country which is having its skilled workers pulled away. Exactly that, yeah. And I, I had a conversation with a friend the other day on on this as well. The the current first world system relies on the existence of the third world. Uh, our, our consumerism is propagating poverty in the in the third world by forcing manufacturing to exist at the rate that it does um, and to force uh, third world conditions to enforce third world birth rates. Um, Africa has a much higher birth rate than uh, Europe does, and that's because developed countries, large in part, tend to have much lower birth rates. And we're using the, Africa as a population farm, the fuel our growing economy. It's massively, massively manipulative. It is um, essentially the benefits of colonialism without actually having to go out and send our military here, there and everywhere to go lord over these countries. We're still taking all their resources. We're still manipulating their population to come work for us. The only difference is now that it's happening here, which is uh, causing a massive uh, amount of unrest and, and problems of its own. 
everything that we talk about all ties in together. You know, we've mentioned consumerism here, the democracy, the environmentalism is all intertwined, which is why it's very hard to discuss one without the other. But as far as population goes, as we've said, this is on the rise due to immigration because our native birth rates are actually in decline, um, taking our population lower, which I personally don't have a problem with because, as I said, there are too many people in this country already for our infrastructure and basically landmass to handle. Um, as Ethan has said, the green zone is very important and and everything comes back, unfortunately, to this point of mass immigration, which is the primary cause by far of overpopulation. It's such a broad topic and it's, it's really easy to touch on other areas with it. But on overpopulation itself, what solutions do we actually see as viable to, to sorting this problem out? Because it's a lot easier to sit and, you know, point the finger at this is an issue and that's an issue uh, than it is for us to actually talk about solutions to the problem. So what do you guys think we can actually look at doing to, uh, at the very least, reduce the impact of overpopulation and at best stop it? Well, I think... One of the main things, which might come across as quite elementary, but that's why we're taught it, I suppose, in school, is the idea of push and pull factors. Um, and this is mainly for, yeah, the 80% of population growth, which is from overseas in origin. Being on those push and pull factors, actually, reminded me of a conversation I had with a, um, a Polish minister uh, quite a while ago now, um, talking about one of his party's policies of essentially uh, encouraging um, migration back from the UK to Poland. Uh, Poland itself is suffering with a low birth rate, um, but is actually a country which is suffering mass emigration rather than mass migration, uh, meaning its population is leaving en masse for, you know, um, economic benefits largely in the first world, um, as Poland's still largely a developing country. Things like, you know, not only looking at our own immigration policy, but also supporting initiatives like in Poland to help see them be able to uh, Stem the tides of the brain drain are really, really important to reducing uh, mass migration and by de facto uh, overpopulation as well. Portugal is another one of these countries who um, suffers greatly from emigration. 14% of Portugal's citizens live abroad, and recently, with the lack of skilled workers and an aging, shrinking population, they're having to offer incentives for their citizens, especially the skilled workers, to return to Portugal so that they can um, create jobs again and effectively revive um, the labour market in their, in their country. And let's also remind ourselves that the countries you're talking about here, both Poland and Portugal, are European countries. Um, both of them have incredibly low birth rates while also suffering from mass emigration. So it's it's a different kettle of fish to what we're talking about here in the UK, where not only do we have a low population, but we're bumping that up with massive amounts of uh, migration. The difference with is encouraging people to uh, be able to go back to Portugal, increase their uh, population, is the fact that uh, Portugal's already hemorrhaging people, while countries like Africa are growing massively as is. I mean, Africa's population is set to triple over the next few decades while many European countries are suffering. Uh, but overall, still keeping a low population across Europe, or a manageable population, should I say, is, is still what we should be looking to doing. One of the main push factors for this sort of thing is warfare and just general instability. And I think this is quite related to what we spoke about in the Americanization episode, largely caused by American foreign policy. The aggressive foreign policy pursued by the United States in the Middle East has created a lot of instability in the region and that pushes a lot of people away from their ancestral homelands seeking understandably better ways of life 
largely in Europe. Uh, you, you can see this in Afghanistan, definitely in Syria, where the US has supported the Free Syrian Army faction, essentially continuing the Syrian civil war for the better part of a decade now. So one of the major ways to end one of the push factors away from people's homelands is to end an aggressive foreign policy that is largely predicated on the consumer capitalist mode of government that we spoke about in one of our previous episodes. I think warfare is definitely a very uh, in-your-face point, but a lot more subtle uh, manipulation by uh, developed nations is happening behind the scenes, being uh, what we've touched on already uh, with our reliance on these third-world countries for manufacturing. Uh, for these countries to be able to continue to produce the products at the rate that they do for as many people as they produce them for, you see countries like China with incredibly low labor standards. Uh, people are generally unhappy and are forced into very low-paying jobs uh, to be able to stem the ever-growing need for production uh, in, in the in the West. So to, to receive better you know, pay and, and workers' rights, they're coming uh, overseas to Europe and, and America for a better quality of life from that as well. So, you know... Our policy in the West is largely um, pushing these people away just as much as their own countries are. And I think these uh, better qualities, I think there's better treatment of workers and, and better wages, etc. is a good point to sort of talk about some of the poor factors. A big one of those being welfare. That's definitely a massive magnet for migration to the UK and pretty much anywhere in Europe. Uh, as everyone knows, we've got the NHS and not only the NHS, but the unemployment benefits, the housing benefits. Are, are some of the best in the world. But these things are obviously paid by the British taxpayer. And while many migrants will work in the UK and pay into the tax fund, a lot of them may take out more than they've put in, especially those coming here who are pregnant, uh, who are injured, or who travel here with the objective of receiving free housing benefit. The British Medical Association voted to abandon charging overseas patients for medical treatment. This basically means that people would be able to take from the pot of British tax fund without chipping in. An absolute slap in the face for anyone who pays tax in this country, especially those who have worked and are waiting for a hospital bed. While charity is an ideal economic principle, it's not a sustainable one, and it's certainly not one that we can burden the UK taxpayer with. Coming off that with a brief side point, uh... Overpopulation is having a massive impact on our NHS, and it's very, very tangible and very, very real. There was over 2,000 GP registrations from immigrants every day in 2016. This has caused the first drop in the number of GPs per head since the introduction of the NHS. It's a direct result of rapid immigration-driven population growth. And of course, while plenty of migrants are coming here to work in our NHS, there wouldn't be such a massive demand for GPs and new doctors, should our population not be so large to demand it. So what do we actually do about these push and pull factors? We've already talked about, you know, warfare and foreign policy. And of course, these are things we can change by enacting non-interventionism. I'm sure we can make changes to our our welfare policy, etc. Beyond that, you know, is is a reduction to immigration the solution? Is a a stop to immigration the solution? What what level of uh, response is required for the actual situation? So what we need now is to minimise immigration, and I don't mean Tory numbers of 60,000, 80,000, I mean minimal immigration. Then we need to encourage what you'd call unskilled emigration, you know, support initiatives in countries like Poland and Portugal, which encourage people to return home and stop this brain drain. Then we can begin national initiatives to train English workers at home 
so that our own citizens are becoming the skilled workers that we need to replace any skilled workers that leave due to economic incentives. And finally, stop the brain drain by reducing visas for skilled foreign labour so that when we can support ourselves, these countries can begin to support themselves as well. Now, this is a very simple way of talking about what is a very complex and very nuanced issue. It would take a huge amount of time to discuss this in detail, consider all of its intricacies, and a lot of it would have to be dealt with as it came up. Yeah, while the examples I gave are simple, um, it is the general message. As I said, we can't give specifics now, unfortunately. I wish we could, and I wish they could be put in power tomorrow. Um, That's just not the way it works. We don't have all the information, and we'd have to see how everything turns out. But this is at least the general direction. I'm sure we can write something up for this. Especially these early episodes, where we're talking more about, you know, broad stroke, general issues that we're concerned with as a group. Later episodes, we'll deal more of the specifics, I'm sure. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's probably the direction that we'll head in future episodes. But to sort of reiterate what we've talked about, uh, obviously we've defined what overpopulation is. We've gone into some of the dangers of overpopulation. It's uh, causes largely in mass migration. Uh, And then we've offered a few solutions uh, that could potentially help stem the tide. Uh, But I think that's all for this week, unless you guys have got anything else to add. No, that's all from me. Okay, well, that's all for this episode then. Be sure to follow us on social media, such as Facebook and Instagram, at localmatterseng, and check out our website, thelocalist.org. If you're feeling generous, consider giving us a donation at paypal.me forward slash localmatters. See you next episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.